0: Thank you, choir and band and Laurie, for solo. Uh, and the music of Christmas just wonderful. I love everything about this season. Is what uh, not just such uh, it because it's a time of great celebration and beautiful music and uh, exchanging gifts, but it's a time to really reflect upon God's love for us and to really just have some time to to dig into the Word and and to. to uh, find perhaps deeper, more significant meaning about the Christmas story and about what God has done for us. I remind of a story told of a teacher in a children's Sunday school class that needed to get some conversation going. So, she said to them, if uh, the Easter lily is the flower of Easter, what is the flower of Christmas? And one little girl raised her hand and said, it's got to be the incarnation she had the answer wrong in that regard, but she, uh, she was right theologically and in so many different ways. So, today we come to, to focus upon the miracle of the incarnation. And you say, well, what is the incarnation? If it's not the flower of Christmas, what is it? Just simply put, the incarnation is the miracle of God becoming flesh and born to the Virgin Mary. And that is the gift that God gave us in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a part of the Christmas story that we really need to focus upon and understand the great significance of it. It's still a, a mystery of God, and only God could do that, and so we understand that part. You know, we can understand that no more than an ant could understand the internet, or maybe no more than I could understand the internet. But it's simply God who did it. And and only God could become flesh. And come through a virgin birth and be in the world in the form of Jesus Christ. So I want us to take a look at um, the scripture in Matthew chapter 1 that also affirms that as we see the announcement that's coming to Joseph. Matthew writes and says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, there is the miracle of the Incarnation. What do we mean when we talk about a miracle? What is a miracle? A miracle simply put is God's supernatural intervention into the natural law that He Himself created. That is when God does something that only God can do. And so the miracle of the Incarnation is God. Making sure that all of his promises and all of the prophecies he'd given to the prophets about the birth of the Messiah and the one who would come to be the Savior of the world would come true. And that's the coming of God in the flesh to be Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, God saw that need back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And he promised that through the presence of the person yet to come, that it would be the one who would come. And deliver us from that sin. And so, the good news of Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ, born as the baby in Bethlehem, to be our Savior and our Redeemer. Now, I want us to look at a passage in Galatians 4, because this is where the Apostle Paul describes uh, the coming of Jesus Christ in that form. And he says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. Born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now that's kind of a nutshell there about the whole timing of Christmas and how God orchestrated that. Without all the pageantry that we put in there, taking it from the story of Luke and from the story of Matthew. This is where we just simply say that, that when the time had fully come, other translations say in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that's all of us that we might receive the full rights of sons. What does the miracle of the incarnation mean for us today? Well, let me mention four things. First of all, the miracle of the incarnation assures us that God is in control. So we are, we are we are assured all the way through the scriptures that God was planning to send his son and it already determined when and where and how Jesus would come. And that's promised first of all in Genesis 3.15. And it goes all the way through where we have read to and looked at uh, in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel. And, and these prophecies come together like building blocks. The way you, you build upon one till you build upon the other till you come to the full picture of what God has in store for us. Go back in Genesis 3.15 and you look at the first promise. And God says after the fall of Adam and Eve to Satan the serpent and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's not necessarily a full-blown articulation or announcement of the virgin birth. But it does bring about the fact that God has a plan, even at the time of the fall, before the time of the fall, that he would send forth the one who would crush Satan, but in the process would be bruised. And he's talking about his son, his savior that he would send. And it's interesting that he talks about this would be the offspring of the woman. Because in most times, it's in biblical lineage there, heritage lined out, and genealogy is about of the, of the father, the line from the father, offspring of the father. But there he makes that first hint at that and the first promise of the Messiah who would come. Then the second building block in the Old Testament prophecy is found in Isaiah 7. And we find there that it's that well-known prophetic passage about the virgin delivering a child. And it has two contexts. It's in the context of that present time when Isaiah gave it for Ahaz the king, and then Matthew takes it and he puts it into his scripture that we've already read today. Now, in that first context, the children of Judah were facing a troubling time, and King Ahaz didn't know what to do, how he would deliver his people. And God sent that message to him and said to him, if you follow my leadership, you follow my instructions, then you will be safe and secure. And he gives that wonderful promise in Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now those prophecies were well known. Uh, they were well known and, and, and people knew them and they, they hung on to them and, and they, they cherished them. But then there came a, an amazing time of quietness where God did not speak. And it tends to make me believe that these people forgot all about these prophecies. They quit looking. And in reality we probably would have too because for Malachi the last book in the Old Testament until you get to Matthew the first book in the New Testament there was a 400 year time of silence in which God did not speak. There were no more prophetic utterances, there were no more signs from God, no more messages from God. Now we probably will get discouraged as well, but fortunately there were those who were still looking. They still had that prophecy in their mind, and fortunately, even through those four hundred years, all of that teaching had continued to be taught, and so it was there for people of faith to claim and redeem and to look for. And so that's where we move in Luke and Matthew to see the second context of that promise of Isaiah seven fourteen in the birth of the virgin through the virgin, and the first one is given to Mary in Luke. Just as uh, uh, Lori was singing about Mary's song. It was an amazing thing for for the angel to come to Mary of all people and say to her, you are the favored one. You have found favor with God. And he says, do not be afraid for now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, you're a young girl, a teenage girl and, and an angel would come to you and give you that message. First of all you're going to be frightened because of that appearance. And so it said fear not. But then what about that announcement that says you're going to have a child and it's going to be the son of God. You would probably respond the same way Mary did. She said how can that be? I'm a virgin. I've never had sexual relations with a man. And that's when the angel assures her that this was not through a man but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit because God has chosen you. And then we go to Matthew's account that we saw this morning earlier as we've read Matthew 1, 18-25. And Matthew describes the dilemma as it comes to Joseph. And Joseph has discovered that his betrothed wife, that he loves dearly with all of his heart, is pregnant. And the story that she gives him is that she's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And you imagine the struggle that Joseph has to be going through at this time. And so, he has determined that being a righteous man, he's going to divorce her, put her away, but he doesn't want to bring any more embarrassment or any more uh, pageantry to uh, what needs to be done. And so, he's going to do it quietly, discreetly. But then the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds this, and all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the Lord. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God with us or God is So, when Joseph awoke from the dream and the angel spoke to him, he, he did what the angel told him to do. He took Mary as his wife, took her home, and then he kept her as a virgin. He had no sexual relationships with her until sometime after Jesus had been born. Now, you see those building blocks of the prophecy that God had given? First of all is the anticipation of the one who would crush Satan and come through the at being the woman's offspring, then secondly would be the promise of a virgin giving birth to a child who would be Emmanuel, which means God with us in the midst of what we're experiencing, and then we have the prediction there that that. Uh, that we find in Matthew and Luke where they play upon those prophecies. They bring them to light. They bring them out both to Mary so that she would believe and accept what God was doing in her life. And then to Joseph that he too would believe and accept what God was doing in his life. And so the incarnation of Jesus Christ took place according to the sovereign design and the sovereign will and the perfect schedule of God. He was born in the fullness of time probably not December 25th. You can trace the the heritage of how Christmas finally came to be settled on on December 25th, five. But the reality is that when Jesus was born He split history. He is the hinge of history. He split it between B.C. and A.D. And every time you write a check or make a date or make an appointment or whatever you are affirming the birth of Jesus Christ in the year of our Lord. This happens to be what? 2012. And so, it's in Jesus Christ that we see that God is sovereign and He is in control. And in Jesus we see the blending of both deity and humanity. Jesus is the intersection of both earth and heaven and He is the meeting place of both time and eternity. It was in the fullness of God's time. And everything was right in the world culturally, and, and politically, and economically, There was prophetic fulfillment, religious fervor, international peace. There was great moral decline, but there was also cultural harmony. And that was God's perfect timing in which he sent his son, Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. God is sovereign. He is in control. He's in control of all things. He times everything in his perfect will, in your life and in mine. Now the second observation I think we can make about this miracle is that the miracle of the Incarnation reminds us of the love of God. Galatians 4-5 says, when the time had fully come God sent His Son. Now that verb sent or, or sent forth as some other translations say actually refers to the Greek concept in the language in which this was written about sending forth someone on an assignment like a a military unit being sent forth and deployed on on an assignment. Or someone being assigned on an assignment kind of like an ambassador going to bring a message from one king to another king. And so that's what God did in sending forth His Son Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to reveal the love that God has for us, for you and for me, even in our sinful fallen condition. Now, that promise and that statement assumes the coexistence of Christ with God, the pre-existence of Christ, uh, that He existed in eternity with God and that He is equal, co-equal. But God sent Him, His Son into the world and in the incarnation to be born as we are And yet, without sin. Now, there have been a lot of ways that we could think about that and imagine that. But I I want to share with you the story that I only read recently that really brought that home, that illustration home to me. Suppose that you have committed a, a heinous crime, and you have to stand trial, of course, and you're found guilty, as you are. And as much as he hates to do that, the judge has to sentence you by what the law calls for. And and capital punishment is enforced and it's going to call for your life to be taken. And so you're put in cell on death row until that time comes. And time after time you hear footsteps that come down that darkened corridor. And you wonder when will they stop at my cell and take me out for my time of execution. And finally one day the footsteps do stop in front of your cell. And the door swings open. And to your surprise, there stands the judge who sentenced you to death. And you, you want to know, why, why are you here? What in the world are you doing here? You sentenced me to death. And the judge says, yes, I did. But he said, even though I took pity on you and I heard your case, you were guilty of the crime and you deserve to be here. But the good news for you today is you're being set free and you don't ask any questions. You just get out of there. And then as you're walking down the hall, you you look back and you see that somebody else is being put into that cell. And you ask the judge, what's going on here? Who is that that's going in there? And the judge says, well, when I told about your condition and your plight, there was a man who, who decided that he would take your place. And he said, I want you to know that that man has done nothing wrong to deserve what he's going into your place to accept and to do. In fact, he's the best man that I could ever know and the finest person that you would ever meet. And he says, I ought to know because he's my son. That's the miracle of the incarnation. That God came to us in Jesus in the flesh, in his love. To die in our place, yours and mine, when we were the ones who deserved to die. The incarnation reveals to us the depth of God's love for us. And the Bible affirms that in so many places. John 3 16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. In 1 John 4.14 we see. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You see the incarnation reveals to us the love of God that he has for each one of us. Now there's a third thing about this miracle of the incarnation. And the miracle of the incarnation reveals the determination of God. And when I'm talking about the determination of God, I'm talking about the fact that every effort that God had used prior to the birth of Christ to show mankind His nature, His character, and the depth of His love for them, they went misunderstood. And so, this time God decided that He would come in a way that they could understand and relate to. It took a while to get used to that concept but this baby born in Bethlehem is the Messiah. You know, they expected a conquering hero, somebody like David to come and be the king and come and deliver them. And God chose to come. but He chose to come in a way that uh, really was astounding. He chose to come as a baby. But He came in person. And the, 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 the story I share with you now is Probably been told in many different versions, but the one I like is this that a little girl was in her room at night, and her parents had gone to bed. They tucked her in, had prayers, put her to bed. And then there were some strange sounds that went on either something happening outside or a thunderstorm that was outside or whatever. And she got frightened, so she got up and went to her parents' room and she begged to get in bed with them. And they said, No, you need to sleep in your own bed and learn to be able to handle these and grow up. But let's do two things. Remember that God is with you and let's have prayer with you. And they had prayer they took her back and tucked her into bed. Well, it wasn't too long before the sounds came up again and she got frightened. And she got up and went to the parents' bed again and asked to get in bed with them. And they said, no, honey, remember we prayed, everything's going to be okay. And remember that God is with you. And they take her back and put her into bed. Not too long it happens again. And the little girl comes back and she asks, can I not get in the bed with you please? And they said, honey, don't you remember that God is with you? And she said, "Yes, but God doesn't have any skin." She was speaking a theological truth at that point. We're told right now that God is with us everywhere we are, and whatever we experience, and God is here with us. But we don't see. We want proof of that. We want evidence of that, don't we? And this time, God was determined to show His love, and He came as God in the flesh. He put on skin and came into our world. That's the incarnation. That God became flesh. That's simply what that word incarnation means. That God became flesh. And He sent His Son, born of a woman. He was and He is the eternal Son of God. The incarnation is described in other places, particularly John 1.14. that says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, there is God in our midst. The Word, the incarnate eternal Word, the coexistent, preexistent pre-existent Word became flesh and lived among us. God was so determined to show us what He is like, how He loves us, what He thinks about us, that He put on skin and He came to live among us so that we could identify with that. And we watched that for 30 years as Jesus matured into manhood. And then He began His earthly ministry. And then He went to the cross for our sins. And that leads us to the fourth observation. And that is that the miracle of the incarnation proclaims the purpose of God. See, God came in Jesus to bring salvation to us. And salvation is made possible only through the cross event as Jesus died in our place on that cross for our sins. Martin Luther, so many years ago, the leader of the Reformation, Reformation movement, was correct when he described our Christian theology as a theology of the cross. Galatians 4 5 tells us why to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. There are two very important things that you need to catch in that passage. There are reasons why Jesus came and what He came to do. First of all, He came to redeem us. See, Jesus was born, sent from heaven from God with the assignment to go to the cross and die for your sins and for mine. To ransom us from our sin and to set us free. Now, here's why the virgin birth and the miracle of the Incarnation is so important. From what I've read, what I've been told by medical people is this. That it's the father that determines the blood of the child. And so if Mary had not been impregnated by any man on the face of the earth. Then that blood in that child would have been natural blood like flows through your veins and mine. And it would have been uh, uh, sinful because everyone had sinned. Right? We would all sinned and fallen short. And so it had to be the pure blood of God the father. And so through his miracle as only he could do it. Mary was impregnated through the Holy Spirit. And so that was the perfect blood of God that came into him. And so he was then able to be that perfect sacrifice, that, that, that sacrifice for us without spot and without blemish and the blood that would eventually only, finally take away the sins of the world. At least 43 references to the blood of Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 1:7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, Paul writes and says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9:12 says, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. You see, God came in Jesus Christ to redeem us. And as God went to the cross in Jesus Christ, He took upon His body the punishment for all the sins that you and I had committed, even though He was the perfect righteous Son of God. He came to redeem us. And secondly, He came to adopt us as His children so that we would be heirs of the kingdom of God. Now, that adoption and the, and the doctrine of redemption is really three-dimensional. First of all, we are redeemed from something, and that's the bondage of sin. Secondly, we are redeemed by something, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we are redeemed into something, and that is the adoption as sons. You see, when someone would go, a man would go to the slave market and buy a slave, it was for basically one of two, or two, one of two purposes, reasons. He would either set that slave free, or he would take him home, and he would be his slave. Nobody ever went to the slave market and bought a slave and brought him home and made him a son in that family. But that's what God does for us when we come in faith to Jesus Christ and accept him as the Messiah, the incarnate God in the flesh. So the moment that you trust Christ as Savior and you are saved from your sins, he adopts you into his family. John 1 12-13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, don't confuse, confuse adoption with, with regeneration. Regeneration is the act of the Holy Spirit moving in our life, convicting us of sin that leads us to the confession of our sin. And once we acknowledge that and accept Christ, then you know, we are regenerated. We are made a new person. But then comes that marvelous aspect of the fact that we are heirs in the kingdom of God. We are His children. We are adopted by Him. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, that's the miracle of God's love for us in the Incarnation, that He sent Jesus into this world to redeem us as He shed His perfect blood. That's why He had to be born of the virgin. And He came so that we could be adopted into the family of God and be heirs of God and co-heirs, joint heirs the Bible says with Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of the Incarnation. The Danish theologian Sohan Kierkegaard told a story uh, about a, a prince who fell in love with a, a peasant mate. As soon as he laid eyes on it was love at first sight. But he knew if he went to her as the prince That she would feel out of obligation to love him back. And so what he did was he denounced everything that made him a prince. And he went out into the real world where this lovely young maiden lived. And they developed a relationship where she fell in love with him for who he was. And that's the same story of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ in the flesh coming to us. He came to us in the flesh as a babe so that we could identify with that. And so that we could accept Him because He would come into our world to identify with us, to share with us our experiences in life, and ultimately to go to the cross and die for our sins. My prayer is we come to understand this miracle of the Incarnation as we celebrate once again the birth of of Jesus as the baby of Bethlehem. And we focus upon that during this season, the birth of Jesus, that we understand the significance of it. This is God's miracle of bringing salvation into this world. God put on skin, and He came into our world so that we could know Him, trust Him, commit our lives to Him. And I would pray that if you've not made that decision, that you would learn to do that as we celebrate Christmas this year. Father, we thank You for the depth of Your love in coming to us in human form in the birth of Jesus Christ as the baby born in Bethlehem. Father we thank you that you would be willing to come into our world and to experience what we experience so that we could identify with you as you identify with us. We are grateful for the depth of your love, the determination you had in showing that love to us. Now help us trust your timing and to believe your words, your prophecy, And to acknowledge Christ indeed as our Savior. And to trust in what He did on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Father we thank You for loving us that way. And for being Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray it with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.